Welcome, everybody, to Church in the Wild. So glad to have you back on this podcast episode, and I'm very excited to introduce you to a great man down in Florida, Clayton Bell. He's become a man I have both greatly respected and thoroughly enjoyed getting to spend time with over the last few years, and this is going to be a fun time for you to get to experience that as well, as we talk a little bit about his leadership journey and uh, some of his wisdom and insight that he has to offer business or church leaders alike, lay, professional, you name it. So Clayton Bell, you ready to do this, buddy? I am ready to do this. Excellent. I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> Clayton, uh, yeah, tell I know your, your podcast listeners are probably already like, oh boy, this is a podcast starting with the phrase, so Florida, man. And you're like, oh no, what? <laughs> this podcast could literally go anywhere. We started with the phrase, Florida, man. <laughs> so That's true. Tell the people where, where you're from and what your, what, your, uh, what your home environment is like. What's it like to live yeah, in I'm, Florida? Uh, it's hot. And, and today it's extremely windy. Um, I know there's a lot of places where it can be like this, but I mean, you just wait a couple minutes and the weather is going to change in Florida. I'm actually born, uh, born in Florida, uh, born in St. Petersburg, uh, moved up to uh, the area where my parents live now when I was 10. They still live in the same house. Uh, met my mm. uh, now wife, uh, then girlfriend when, when we were both in high school. We went to different high schools. I went on our first date when she was 15. Uh, I was 17. Nice. Um, and so we have now Barely both spent legal. more of our life. Barely yeah. legal, buddy. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> this is why your podcast takes longer to get out than mine, because you have so much more editing to do. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, went to, uh, didn't didn't grow up going to church. Um, I still feel like I'm learning the what it's like to grow up in church culture. Mm-hmm. Um, went, uh, started going to a youth group my senior year of high school. Uh, had a tragic family situation um, where my sister was involved in a car accident, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, she was she was fine. Um, the passenger was not. It made me start questioning everything in my, my life. In my life, if I wasn't in control, who was? Uh, you and I both have a bit of a gridiron background. Yep. Uh, the only college football experience I have is NCAA football on the PlayStation. However, mm. and um, and became a Christian going into college. Um, was a good kid in high school with no God, went to college, uh, and had no concept of discipleship, church life, anything like that, and did the best thing you could do. I joined a fraternity. Uh, and so it became good kid, no God, now with God, now getting drunk, um, and I had a girlfriend I was hooking up with. Then God continued to show up in my life, uh, got connected into uh, what was then called Victory Campus Fellowship, mm. which became Victory Campus Ministries, which became Every Nation Campus Ministries, which became Every Nation Campus. We love those name changes. I know, right? You got to get make sure you get those, you know, those <laughs> those earls. You got to get make sure you get your earl registered. And um, and so then got really radically involved. Uh, God actually not only got a hold of my heart, got a hold of my life, changed my life, went into college ministry. And um, and then kicked around uh, doing various tasks inside of the, the Every Nation Church in Tallahassee. Did two years of marketing and public relations there in the city, and then came back thinking we were going to start another version of the church in that city. And then ended up actually moving down instead, uh, back home for Kelly and I, uh, moving back home and starting the church in 2009. We went weekly in 2010, and been going at it. Will be nine years this March. Got a beautiful wife. We've been together for 16 and a half years. A daughter who is 10 going on 17. Yep. And uh, and that kind of rounds out 
uh, that that rounds out the home life. Uh, then of course CrossFit, which you, you know Seth is my is my oh, second wait. child. Hold on, is that do, do you do CrossFit? <laughs> See, <laughs> this is this is the joy of like the inside jokes. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> not only do coach and uh, and 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 I. I do CrossFit, I coach CrossFit, and I take the butt of CrossFit jokes. Those are yes, my three. Right. Those are my three areas. Well, so, I'm, yes, unlike, most people think I'm involved in two cults. Yeah. Well, unlike unlike a Fight Club, the first rule of CrossFit is that everyone must talk about CrossFit. Actually, is what I find to be the most compelling part of <laughs> CrossFit. So, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> no, we're all very happy for you, Clayton. You're a, you're a functionally <laughs> dynamic, constantly varied sort of guy, and uh, it makes sense. You know, it all just makes sense in the universe. And I live at a high intensity. So high that's intensity. True. That's right. I forgot the high intensity part. Um, well, you and I actually share, you know, a fair bit in common other than growing up in complete opposite corners of the continent, you know. Uh, but you and I share the fact of, uh, first of all, not growing up in church culture and now leading churches and still trying to wrap our heads around on what it means to like be a part of a church culture or grow up you know, in a church culture. Like, you know this song from when you were a kid. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. No, no I clue. I don't actually know. Yeah. Barely, Father Abraham again? Barely catching up with the hymns, you know what I mean? And that's through great <laughs> intentionality, you know? Um, yeah, right. no, exactly. Like all the little kid songs, totally foreign to me. Um, and it's a weird expectation that people have that somehow you should know them. You know what I mean? I have no idea why people assume that you should know this stuff, especially when you don't grow up in church. Um, so you and I kind of share that uh, side of things. And also, interestingly enough, I mean, you talk about kind of the traumatic family moment where you kind of have to question uh, through through the car accident, question, you know, life, death, who's all in control. But uh, interestingly enough, I don't know if my podcast listeners have ever heard this story before, but it was in my senior year of high school. I actually had a dream about getting into a car crash. Um, Ooh. Yeah. And it, it was one of those super vivid, like you swore it was real kind of dreams. Um, and I was in the car with um, one of my best friends who was a Christian, one of the only people I knew who was Christian. Um, and I remember going over a cliff and dying, like everything going black. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and all that I knew was, A, my friend was, he was also dead, but he was fine. But I was also dead and not fine. And I immediately started trying to bargain with God and realized I had zero bargaining chips. I'm like, wait, why am I, I don't even know if I believe in God and yet I'm bargaining with him and yet I don't have anything yeah. to bargain with. And this, all right, I, you know, and I remember waking up with that great sense of relief, you know, and, uh, and it was just, I had this overwhelming sense of like, dude, I better, I better figure this stuff out. You know, uh, if there's anything here, you don't want to get to that moment again for real in your life and realize you're bargaining <laughs> with someone you have no bargaining chips with, you know, that was yeah. anyway. So anyway. Somewhat of a similarity there, but uh, so what? Uh, so at what point was that faith transition for you? Was that coming out of high school, or was that? I mean, you were in the frat and you yeah. were getting drunk. Was that kind of a college moment where you'd really say your faith really came alive? It's a great question. I think that depends on how many Calvinists, how many Arminians we've got oh. listening to this podcast. I think mm. they'd probably all tell me I was saved at a different time. I'm good now. I feel like I'm good now. Um, <laughs> I got, I, I I got a little going, both inside my head, so I can, you know, I can play to either side. Yeah, I mean, me too. Um, uh, <laughs> I just, sorry, a little Calvinist inside of my head. I was just thinking we were both friends with Adam Mabry. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, oh, yes. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. So, a, a, um, a literal little Calvinist. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So uh, going Sorry, into college, I, I had a really, it was a really marked transforming moment. I mean, like, I mean, I, my heart was radically changed. And and I, I remember coming back and kind of going like, I get it, guys. I get it. And then even I think the girl, like, I was like, I, I not dated before Kelly. And I was like, hey, I'm a Christian now, too, because I thought she was as well. And she was just not a really good person. She's like cool. I was like, oh, all right. So maybe there's a difference between good person and Christian. But I literally, if you had asked me the things I was doing, was that wrong? I wouldn't have known. And, mm. and I think that's why there's such a, so I, I do feel like looking back now, had my life ended and had I had to, you know, hold account and would my name have been written in the book of life? Mm. Uh, I, I, I do think so. But I think that's one of the reasons why you know, we had the fortuitousness of being in a church family that puts a heavy emphasis on discipleship, on actually seeing your life be able to be changed and transformed by God. And so it was towards the end of my sophomore year of college, I ended up by the smallest of, well, sovereignty or, 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 or free will, uh, going to this <laughs> campus outreach. And there was nothing particularly special about the speaker is actually a guy who used to be on the power team, those guys who tear phone books in oh, half. Totally. Just yeah, that everybody there looks normal. Tom Sorotnik. And Dude, that's very late 90s normal, right there. Very late 90s. Like, they could throw a football. I found out later most of them were on the Florida State football team. One of the guys who's one of my best friends now, who was on the team at the time, he actually got saved in that meeting. And I was like, man, I want to start a ministry to fraternities and sororities. And I was trying to serve hmm. God a little bit. Like, and, and I didn't know what that meant. And everybody's like, you got to meet this guy, Addison. And so I met Addison. And, uh, and he took me out to dinner a couple nights later and explained discipleship, like, hey, you pour in what you know into other people, then they pour it in, and you keep doing that, and we can reach the world so much faster than if we just did revivals every day. And I just remember being like, dude, this is, this is the greatest plan in the world. Do other people know <laughs> about people this? Notice? I was like, Addison, we have got to tell people about this <laughs> discipleship plan. Uh, and he just kind of maniacally like, <laughs> like, well, he wasn't maniacal, but he did laugh because he's a comedian. And uh, But he had me. And I broke my foot in a basketball class. Mm-hmm. That summer, um, I was living, uh, you know, not to, you wouldn't know it to look at me, but it was on an alley-oop. I didn't dunk it. I laid it in at the rim, though. And, uh, <laughs> at the rim. And then came down. Easily at the came rim. Down. Yeah, I mean, you know, a 5'10 white point guard. That's what we do. We lay it in, and, <laughs> and you know, I didn't, thankfully, I didn't have to have outside range back then. I would now, but broke my foot, would have had to get the cast off in Costa Rica, didn't want to do that. And so instead of going through our foundations book once a week, I was like, champ, I got nothing else to do. I did it. Once we did it three to four times a week, wow. and then quickly, I just didn't have any background to overcome. So he's like, "You ever been baptized?" I was like, "Nope." He's like, "You want to get baptized?" I was like, "Yep." You know, I was like, "I just you go to church?" Nope. She come to church? Okay. <laughs> and longtime listeners of the podcast, uh, the Church in the Wild podcast, will will know your first guest, Adrian Crawford. Uh, yep. He was a roommate of mine in college, and he and I and his wife Wendy. We're all getting connected into that church at the exact same time, and that began my my life actually changing and transforming, mm-hmm. uh, which was real incompatible with my fraternity life. Ended up moving out of my fraternity house into a house uh, with Adrian and a couple other guys, and that was really kind of the formative moments of of not just having my heart belong to Jesus, but having my life belong to Him. Yeah. 
I think that's really critical for people to hear because I share almost, it's just, you know, eerily similar. And it's like, who knew that this would have been the plan or the architecture of the whole thing all along? Two guys at Florida State figured out, you know, a plan to actually change the world, you know, that uh, just happened to be written out a couple thousand years before. Oh, I don't know, by Jesus. But, you know, still, it seems like, you know, it's this slow to catch on sort of thing. But that that radical process of change that involves like, a, having pers- personal friendships, relationships, community that are built around you. And I, I agree with you in a very providential sort of sovereign sense. God really places people together. You don't grow uh, in any meaningful sense and certainly not spiritually. You never grow in isolation. You grow out of conjunction of relationships. And then secondly, you don't just need bro time. You need like truth input into that somehow. You need somehow for God's right. word uh, to be invested in those moments to sort of correct all the bad thinking that you do, bad behavior that you've got, bad ideas that you've got, you know, all the, all just the, the, the stupid stuff, you know, that we got floating around in our skulls, that that has to be kind of rooted out. And we do that in the context of relationship and somehow God's presence, he promises to be in the midst of that thing. Um, and then you look back now for us, what, like 18 to 20 years later, and you think yeah. I, it's just like, it's a whole nother, like we're living in a whole different kind of reality or a whole different kind of a person. It's amazing how much transformation can happen with the simplest of things and yet how those simplest of things are just so easily ignored, especially in church context. And I guess that's my first question for you, Clayton, is why? Why is the simplicity yet profound power of discipleship so often lacking in the church when it seems like it should be should be so central? That's a great question. Uh, and, and I've wrestled through that with myself trying to, to figure out um, why that is. And I, and I, I find that the responsibility and I think the percentage of responsibility um, moves back and forth depending upon the, the church, the context, the person you're talking about. But I think it lies both on on our side of the pulpit. Um, as a pastor, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's it's my responsibility to look and, and be more critical of the, the folks in I, I know our, our side of the pulpit. I you know I know that might be a little bit, but, but on our side of, of, of the vocational ministry, but then also looking at those, uh, inside of, you know, inside of the church and being like, what do you actually want? What are you actually looking for? And I think part of it is that we've got a generation of people who have been raised on being, uh, on, on being told to invite Jesus into their hearts, Mm. but they skip the whole part about having to invite Jesus into their lives. Like, it's like, Hey, do you want to go to hell? Uh, no. False. Okay. Then then pray for Jesus (laughs) to enter into your heart. Okay, good. Am I good? Yes. Great. Then, then that's all that I think that I need. And because of that, again, if that's the message being preached, then I understand how people are going, wait, I I think that's why we're seeing people continue to recede from the church. Mm -hmm. They're receding from uh, the scriptures because they don't need those things to have a spirituality and encounter because they already have what they have because Jesus lives in their hearts. And if they haven't been instructed well, if they haven't been taught well, you know, again, we know this. Our goal is never to create people more dependent on us as pastors. True. It's, uh, that's never my goal. Uh, I am trying to create low-maintenance family members in the same way that that's I... A, that's you know, a really awesome phrase right there. That's a good goal. Yeah, because you don't want to be independent. Right. You're still part of the family. Right. But my sisters and I 
Um, I'm I'm 39. I've got a sister who's 38 and a sister who's 34. Like we shouldn't be calling our parents, going like, "What are we having for dinner tonight?" <laughs> so, sure. But there are times when it's like big things where I'm like, "Okay, I do want my father's advice on this," or I do want right. like I'm still we're in family. We're we're about to get together for, for Christmas, so we're still part of the family. But we should be able to be lower maintenance. And again, to tie this into the part of my story with the discipleship, we should now be raising our own, in a sense, children or spiritual children, or imparting to people in that sense. So I I think people haven't heard a message. As, um, as much about discipleship, I think they've heard about Jesus. Yeah. I think they've heard about having him be in their hearts. I think we talked a lot about the gospel, or I think we talk a lot about being spirit-empowered. Yeah. But I don't know how much that's ever framed into this concept of discipleship, that Jesus didn't call us to be church members. He didn't call us to, you know, the, the big thing he said was, go and make disciples. And yep. to, to steal a quote from the president of our movement, Steve Merle, uh, he was the first person I heard kind of make this contrast. We spend so much of our time building the church. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, I'll build my church. And in Matthew 28, he says, you go make disciples. Yeah. Now there's still an organizational responsibility you have to care. We can talk about that later, but I think that idea of like, no, we can be and make disciples. And then what we've tried to do at Trinity New Life Church is to then quantify that and to say, okay, if somebody is a disciple, what does that mean? And and I think there's a lot of great definitions. My responsibility as a leader is to make a portable definition, one somebody can really take with them. And so we've taken the Matthew 28 Great Commission and simply said, okay, then we're going to communicate it that it's somebody who's learning about God, obeying what they're learning, mm-hmm. and looking for opportunities to share that with others. Yep. And so that through line runs through everything in the way that we teach and the way that we're trying to get people to read their Bibles and learn. And when we start seeing that transformation, then I think people start understanding, wait, then I love Jesus, but this part of my life is broken. Yeah. I love Jesus, but I'm struggling in this relationship. It's like, yes, you need to love Jesus, not only with your heart, but also with your soul, mind and strength with your whole life. And that's a hard thing for people Yeah. because I don't know how much sacrifice they're really, really willing to give up. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that seems to be just the, you know, the issue, right, to, to drive home. I've, uh, I've semi-joked, you know, that when people ask me about, you know, I've, I'm, I'm over a decade in now of, of pastoring a church, you know, and when I was asked kind of like, what, what is some of my advice that I would give to someone who's just kind of starting out? And I, I've kind of semi-jokingly said that it, my, my first book that I would write as advice to pastors would be called Slacker Pastor. Um, because I, because I actually think that one of the most harmful things that pastors do is they overfunction and they do for the church what the church should actually be doing, um, you know, for the for the world or for the community. Um, mm-hmm. And in essence, when we create codependency, you know, where we create people that need us to feed into them constantly um, instead of equipping them to actually have something they can then go pass on along to others. And I think it's easy to do that. It's easy to get just locked into church and get really busy as pastors. But there's something about just refusing to be busy and choosing to be very thoughtful about what you actually do engage in, um, who you invest your time in, how much time you invest, and then what that time looks like. uh, So that, yes, you care for people, but you care for people in the kind of way that that is going to pass on somehow and go on and multiply, hopefully, to be able to be able to bless the many rather than just the one kind of reciprocating back and forth 
sort of sort of a deal. Um, right. I, I and I think that the depending upon the the church background that people have, that can that's a, a real shock yes. to their system. Yep. Like I I was I was going to text uh, some of my friends and say please pray for me. Uh, I don't know how. Uh, but apparently I've become a 52-year-old Baptist pastor because this week I've done a <laughs> hospital visit, uh, a funeral, and um, I'm, I'm recording like a, or, um, and I'm doing a Christmas, you know, message. I was like, wait, wait, what happened? Like I, 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 I'm doing all of these things and, and I certainly don't mind somebody in our congregation is sick and hurting and in the hospital. Hey, can you come pray for me? I would love to pray for you. Hey, uh, uh, we had a woman who had started attending our second location uh, who had been struggling with cancer for a long time and recently passed away. Her family wants me to come do the funeral. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The the funny thing, and I, I don't know what your experience has been with this, is when people think, well, I want the pastor to be there because he's different. Yeah, Because right. his prayers are different. And I'm just kind of like, I try to push back against that mindset over and over again of yeah. you the Holy Spirit that resides inside of me is no different than the Holy Spirit that resides inside of you. And I do not understand. And maybe that's because, again, I didn't grow up in church and I've always been the pastor rather than had a pastor. But people who are like, no, no, I need the pastor. It's like, I don't know you. I mean, that's not to say like, I don't know who you are, but as churches continue to grow larger and larger, man, I would feel like when you're in these moments of crisis, the people who you want closest to you are the people who you actually have in your life, who you've developed relationship with, are the ones who know you, love you and care for you. No question. And I think we have to be careful about being dependent on a position or a title if we're in the congregation or if we're the pastor, not empowering enough of our staff and leaders around us so that people don't see that everybody has a, everybody has a touch and represents in a sense who we are as a church. Yes. Yep. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, I've actually found that there's a couple really practical things that have helped and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this as well. Cause I think there's a couple of things that are be really important for anyone just who is actually in occupational ministry to hear from this. But I think this is also empowering for people who aren't in occupational ministry as well. Um, but I think there's a couple of practical things that can help with this. And the first thing is like, um, financially as a church, um, just be very, very slow to hire new staff and be mm-hmm. very careful about that. And I always ask the question, is this something that I want to pay someone to do? Or is this something we should actually be expecting all of our people to do? Um, yeah. And I think it's just really, it's quick, it's convenient. And for you know the minority of churches that, that maybe they're in an affluent area or just have really generous people, but where they just kind of have that cash and it kind of feels like, man, you got to spend it somewhere. Gosh, you want to hire people that aren't going to go do ministry. You want to hire people that are going to help facilitate and equip other people, you know, doing ministry. Um, and so I think yeah. when once churches kind of get overloaded with staff, everyone's looking to fill their calendars and do meaningful stuff. And that can quickly, sometimes unintentionally, step on the toes of, of the church itself, who's meant to be doing a lot of the work of the ministry. Um, and then also I think that's, you know, I think you and I, as, as people who are primary kind of communicators of our churches, I think when we um, when we preach and when we communicate and when we do so in a way that is dynamic and it's engaging and uh, and it's helpful for people, I think that's all great. But if we're failing to basically celebrate and share the stories of people not us um, who are doing yeah. ministry and caring for people, if all I'm doing is sharing the stories of man, I had this counseling appointment or I was reaching out to this guy or if I'm all I do is kind of sharing what I'm doing, then I'm maybe unintentionally making myself look like 
superstar. Um, and then I am going to drop you. I've actually noticed that. There's been a couple of times where I talk about, okay, when I was discipling this one person, mentioned this one person, this came up and walked through it. And then I get emails like, oh, man, I'm dealing with that same issue. Can I meet with you too? And I've realized like, okay, wrong. Like not bad that I said that, not bad that they yeah. had that issue and want to get it solved. But I was like, man, it would have been far better for me to say like, man, we've got this amazing group in our church and this issue came up inside their group and the leaders of the group worked it through. And therefore you should go be in a group or you should go, you know, you should go get disciple or you should go meet up, you know, with someone you, you respect here in the church. Um, that seems to be like far, far better. But I'm curious, what kind of, uh, are there any practical examples that you would have to kind of help highlight this and make sure this becomes a culture of a church? I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head right there. I, I think we've got to, from the from the pastor side, from the leader side, we, we have got to identify our own insecurities. You said it a couple yep. times. We've got to not create people to be codependent on us. Um, I, I, you, I do you, you want to unpack uh, some people maybe unfamiliar with the word codependent. What do you, I know what I mean when I say, what do you, what do you think that word means? <laughs> Layton? <laughs> well, uh, based on the wisdom of Dr. Michael Zoda, yeah. uh, I, <laughs> that you are creating either you are too dependent on someone else to be able to function like you can't do it unless they do it for you yeah. or you are creating and you need people to be dependent on on you. Yeah, so it you works need both people ways. To need you. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's that's the danger of the leader. The danger of the leader is to create people overly dependent on you. Now remember again, we said this a little bit ago, you want to create low maintenance people. Yeah. So when somebody comes to me and says, "Pastor, I got something out of your message." I'm I'm thankful for that. One, I don't want to be preaching and be like, "Pastor, uh, I don't remember anything you said." You're like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> Yes, uh, okay. I laughed at the jokes, but, but I, I, nothing else is coming to me right now, right? But when, yeah, when somebody comes up to me and says, "Man, I was reading in the scriptures and God got a hold of me right here," mm. I am more excited that when somebody than when somebody tells me that they loved my message because I know that they are learning to hear the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, through prayer, on their own, and that is more sustainable than a continual dependence on leaders. And and there's this whole idea of Christian celebrity and Christian culture. And it, I think that comes from both sides. I think that comes from people saying, I mean, gosh, this goes back to, for, I, I preached over the summer. Uh, I may or may not have been inspired by this podcast uh, or the inspiration of this podcast title. I did a 10 week series called first, in first Corinthians called church in the wild. Ooh, and to, lovely. And, yeah, every time I tell like a pastor that I, I preach through First Corinthians, they're like, "Did you? How are you doing? <laughs> um, we're, we're fine. We're fine." Um, but but to see in the very beginning that the Corinthian church is going, "Well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow well, I've just followed Peter. Well, I just I just follow Jesus straight direct." It's like from the very beginning we are trying to create a dependence. Uh, I don't think those guys were trying to create a dependence on them, but the the audience then creates a dependence on who are you listening to and who's who are you getting that from instead of realizing that, yes, you should be led and guided in the context of the church by the people and by the uh, that God has put in charge of that church. But it does not like we're not Catholic. Mm -hmm. We believe there's one mediator between God and man, and it's not your priest. It's not your pastor. It's Jesus Christ. And like you said, what we should be looking for is to not hire people to do ministry, but I want to try to hire people who can empower and allow 
others to do an exponential level of ministry to try to do their best to fulfill the mandate that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter four of like, look, if you've got apostles and prophets and pastor teachers and evangelists, those folks exist to equip other people, not to create sycophants, you know, not to create their own identity and their own brand, but to be able to equip other people. And just to, to kind of push into the pastor side of that a little bit, I think there is a real dangerous examine a real danger and a real examination that we should all do to see how much dependence Mm -hmm. and how much brand of ourselves that we're putting out there. Um, because I, I don't, I just think that's, I, it's so hard. It's such a date. Like there's a, there, there's this tension of, I want to get this. I mean, you have, I'm recording a podcast with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we also have another podcast that we do here at Trinity New Life called Beyond Sunday. The implicit nature of that is that we believe that we have something to say that can help other people, and we want to create a platform to be able to help those folks in doing that. And we have to constantly wrestle in that tension of like, how much are we creating people to be overly dependent on us rather than having people be dependent on Jesus? Because we're going to frustrate people. Yeah. We're going to annoy them. We're going to mm-hmm. hurt them. And they're going to be disappointed in us because we're humans. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want somebody's view of Jesus to be diminished, even if their view of me takes a hit. Yeah, that's really and when I said. was a young when I was a young campus minister, I had the answer to everybody's problems. And I loved at 23, 24, 25 being asked, what do you think I should do? And I could not be quicker to have told people, I know exactly what you should do. I have all the wisdom in the world. And I see what a mistake it was to not respond to that question with a question of what is Jesus telling you? Mm. Before I give you my wisdom, before I give you my insight, before I give you any, what is Jesus telling you? I had a, a staff member was asking me, hey, this... Um, this person is, you know, in my, you know, under my, you know, on my service team is struggling with something and, uh, relational and, you know, what should they do and what does the scripture say and everything. And I was like, well, it's kind of a gray area. And I was like, wait, wait, have they prayed about it? And she said, yeah. I said, what does Jesus tell them to do? They said, well, Jesus tell them to do this very clearly. And I was like, oh, well, conversation over. <laughs> like, yeah, I can't go do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go do, go do that. Like yeah. that's within the bounds of scripture. Yep. And, and, and I don't know. I'm again, I love to pray for people, but when people text me and say, will you pray for me? My first question I want to always ask, and sometimes I do ask, depending on the person is I'll pray for you, but have you prayed for you? Yeah. Like, like so many times when we get asked, will you pray for me? It's, Hey, I don't want to pray for, I don't want to take the time to engage with God, to wrestle through, to, to admit my hurts and frustrations or to, to build up my faith. I just want somebody to like do this for me. Yeah. Now there's a, a, a very healthy way to do that in the context of the people you are walking with. Like, Hey guys, I really need you to be joining with me in prayer, but I'm always hesitant about the people who substitute the prayers of others for their own prayers yeah. rather than supplement their own prayers with the prayers of others. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's really well said. I know you and I have heard a lot of the same stories over the years because we've kind of grown up in the same broader church family. But uh, 
I remember uh, I remember some of the gangsters stories of some of our uh, kind of uh, heroes of our movement, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, one of them was from I think it was I think it was Rice Brooks, if that's a name that means anything to the audience out there. But he's a he's a guy who's uh, who believes everything we're saying pretty deeply to his core and is willing to walk it out on on a bit of an edge at times. And I remember him telling stories about doing altar calls and uh, having people come forward. And he said, uh, you know, all the time in the middle of the South, how people would come up and ask, like, uh, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I remember him saying at one point, at some point, he just kind of lost his marbles. And he said, no, I won't. I won't pray for you. And he would just throw the question back at them. Will you repent? Like, will you obey Jesus? Like, will you (laughs) you actually give up your sin? You know, and it's like, oh, Pastor, I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling with this. Will you pray for me? And that was his response. No. Will you repent? And then based on whether they say yes or no, then he, then that's where the conversation either ends or, you know, it actually gets interesting, you know. But uh, it's so uh, true. Yeah. And th- those are small, subtle things that you're bringing up. I'm even having multiple conversations come into my mind over the last month or two, you know, of just like people that are like, say this is going on. And I just throw that out so quickly. But my role, even as a pastor, shouldn't be just to throw, a qu- oh, man, I, let me pray for you. But ask them that's very like dude jesus is just as accessible for you as he is for me you know are you accessing that i'm happy to supplement that and support you in that but not be a replacement of that yeah and then that feel like that's what happens with you know you ever get anybody in your church or who or maybe you've done this in the past you know i've kind of been wary of it where people have these devotionals and they're like i'm doing this devotional it's great it's one verse Mm. And then it's like three to four paragraphs of somebody's thoughts on that verse or all, the, all those other things. Right. Again, I'm not trying to trash. I, I don't have anybody in particular. I'm like, we all know I'm talking about Beth Moore because like, I don't want to. <laughs> She's actually Beth quite Moore. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Beth Moore is awesome. She's I've a heard beast. Her pre- she is crazy. And she might have the most fire Twitter account out there. Um, that, that is also the, true. You should follow uh, Beth Moore. She's she's fun times. Uh, but so I don't have anybody in mind with that. But I'm just like, oh, mate, if you're not you're not wrestling through this. You're not you're not engaging with with a chunk of scripture and and asking God what are you teaching me in this, um, what 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 commands or characteristics of you or humanity or myself am I learning mm. in this? What what beliefs and behaviors do I need to change as a result of what I'm learning? God, is there somebody that I also can encourage in addition to this, yeah. rather than not always saying like, hey, this is good for somebody else or this is good for me or good for them, but. Are you, are you again, supplementing the spirit of God or are you substituting what the spirit of God has done in somebody else and you're only trying to grow through secondhand spirituality? Yeah. You come to church and you don't sing, but everybody sings real good around you. Yeah. You don't serve, but everybody serves around you and you just, you like that feeling. And instead of engaging with it yourself, even if it's on the most minuscule, small, basic, you know, building block way you're still engaging with God. And I think that means worlds more than getting the best from somebody else, but you're always getting it secondhand. Yeah. And so getting people to, again, engage with, with the reality of these little changes. I mean, this has been a big thing we've identified lately. Um, and just kind of really had our eyes open with it and started to really change a lot of our languages. Had a class I taught recently, and it's the Purple Book or Biblical Foundations. It's mm-hmm. a book that's used pretty common in our every nation world. Yep. Um, I, I have about 75%, and then I add my own 25% into this. And at the end, the chapter three is on repentance and baptisms. And so I explain, try to do everything I can to explain repentance and 
and I go around the room to everybody and I've done this I don't know how many hundreds of times to people and, and looked at them and asked them in this five seven minute awkwardness of a classroom and I go have you ever repented of your sins and then if they say yes I say have you ever been baptized in response to it and go around to everybody and this last time I got people who said no and then I had other people a, a, a good handful who said if that's what repentance is then no, I don't think I've ever repented. And I just was like, hmm, you've been baptized, been on mission trips. And we started looking at and asking, how many times are we asking people when they've repented? Mm-hmm. And, and you just see again from a, from a scriptural, like the narrative of especially the, you know, the gospels, how much of the gospels are started with the questions of, or the commands of repentance. Right. And so trying to discover, okay, so we've got a lot of people who, they, I love God. I've always believed. I grew up going to church. God's a very important part of my life. Like, I pray all the time. Like, those are wonderful things. But to kind of go back to Rice's point in the story, have you ever repented? Yeah. Have, have you actually, do you, do you understand what that means, to, to lay down your life and, and to let it go away so that you might be completely given over to Christ? And I think that's one of the, you know, we were talking about discipleship a while ago. I think that's, again, one of the reasons why people struggle with discipleship is because they got, a lot of people got in this to love God and not go to hell. They may not have understood that what they were actually doing was agreeing to have their complete life rewired and reoriented. Now, again, we believe it's for the best because you're coming in alignment with the way that you're made. And the more you do that, the the better, even if it's not the outside circumstances, but the internal joy and love in your life will be. And so this, these foundational ideas of like, man, have we ever repented? If we haven't repented, it's going to be really hard to engage in discipleship because when our will is crossed with the will of God, if we're not certain who already wins in that, which is what repentance sets a foundation for us, it's going to be an ongoing battle for people. And it, and the hard thing is, as the pastor, is you see people get stuck in that cycle and you, you implore them as much as you can because it's not, I don't, I don't track repentance numbers at our church. I don't need that number tracked, but I don't want you to live less than what's out there. I don't want you to live less than the fullness of a relationship with God and the promise of forgiveness and restoration. And I don't want you to live less than that. Yeah. I want you to live in the fullness of God. So that's why I try to I'm not clearly not the only one, but I, for my own self, I feel like I've got this burden of I have to press into clarity with you because I don't want you to miss how much God wants to be able to have and move and work in your life. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good, Clayton. So I'm I'm curious if, if maybe kind of a, a good way to steer this is just because I'm sure there's a, there's plenty of people listening that maybe can even nod along their heads to this and say like, yeah, this is totally this is where this is where i'm at this is what i believe this is what i value this is what i know to be true and i think for a lot of people who maybe aren't even in occupational ministry is there like just a a good starting point for someone to say like yes i want to be a disciple yes i want to disciple others i want what's poured into me to pour out through me um is there like a good kind of practical place that you have people start to say like here's what it looks like go do this and that will help you take a first step on the journey. 
I, I thought you were going to say, is there a good place? Well, I was going to be like, the local church. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you should go to church. Great, that's a good thing. Gray City. But I, th- that's absolutely one of them. It, it is actually one of the, the things that you did. We, we've, you should do. We, we've put together recently a, a YouTube series, and um, it's we haven't really pushed it out there uh, yet to our people. We're kind of testing a little bit to see if it's resonating and, and hitting them. But we started to ask that question. We're having people go, look, where do I start? Yep. Where do I start from the very beginning? And I, I think when you're in the context of a local church, I am fully willing to admit, as somebody who loves the local church, mm-hmm. that attendance at a local church, serving in a local church, attendance at a small group will not change your life. It is not guaranteed to change your life. However, it is the best environment to create the greatest possibility for the momentum of, for for there to be a greater momentum of God in your life. These, these, um, patterns and behaviors, these environments, there's a reason that they have sustained themselves for thousands of years across a multitude of cultures is because there is something probably significant to them. It doesn't matter how good of a singer you are. I always tell people, like, when you became a Christian, you became a singer. You're like, I'm terrible at singing. Great. You became a terrible Christian singer, but you have to have something inside of you. And so, so where we tell people to start is like, okay, your goal is to be a disciple. Here's how you be a disciple. We said this already. You want to learn, obey, teach others to, to be able to do the same thing. The best thing, the best ways to be able to start doing that is by Bible reading, praying, and musical worship. There are other great things to do. You can listen to podcasts. Hello. Uh, you can go to conferences. You can read books. You can watch videos. I, I think that there is nothing so important as those three, because I believe that engages your heart, your mind, and your emotions. Yep. That's great. That, and you have to learn how to read the Bible. You have to learn how to pray and you have to learn what it means to be able to sing and to have musical worship in your life. And there are, in your local church is usually going to have a great place for you to learn how to do those things. And I think figuring out that being a part of that local church, Serving in that local church is going to help you become more like Jesus. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve. Mm-hmm. And so if you're worried about missing out on the service because you want to be more because you want to hear about Jesus and that's why you can't serve, you're actually going to grow more like Jesus the more engaged you are in serving others. And when you can find worship and maturity, if you can sense the presence of God, when you're serving others, man, you're really getting close to the heart of God. And then again, I think there's something to being in a smaller environment, small groups, discipleship groups, freedom groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them, but finding people that you can be face-to-face with. Um, we, we say it here, we want you to be shoulder-to-shoulder, that's serving, and face-to-face. Yep. And it's just those simple patterns, but again, it's knowing that they're not, the, the, your presence and participation in them alone will not mature you, but they provide the best environments for you to take the opportunity to grow in maturity because you've still got to engage your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've still got to engage your will in that maturing process with God. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. That's really good. Clayton, I'm kind of wondering if you have any uh, kind of parting thoughts as you kind of look ahead 
um, to where your church is headed, where you see maybe church trends heading. Uh, I guess what's on what's on your heart and mind in terms of some of the you know concerns you have to see you know your church and maybe kind of church culture in general just get healthier and stronger, uh, more productive and fruitful. Um, what are what are some things you're concerned about? Is there anything you're encouraged about generally? Uh, I I'm constantly in, encouraged by the people that I get to be able to do ministry with. I think that both in the extra local context of the denomination that we find ourselves in, uh, I'm really encouraged by the love, the absolute love for Jesus that so many have. And I think when that is there first, when that humility, man, we can figure this stuff out. We can admit when we're wrong. Mm-hmm. We can be humble about those things. We can or we can course correct. And I, I feel incredibly blessed by the people that um, I'm doing ministry with here at Trinity New Life Church. I, I love the DNA and the camaraderie that we have. Um, we have done everything we can to try to create a healthy church culture. I, I don't want to say perfect, but a healthy yeah. church culture. Again, this is one of the things that I have learned is not growing up in the church is that apparently not every church is a healthy organization. I don't know if you've heard about, about this, Seth. If I've heard have, rumors. Okay. Mentioned this to you, but yeah, yep. apparently it's a big thing out there. <laughs> um, and I have some of my theories on that. Again, I'm not, I'm not a church consultant. I, you know, I, I'm not Ed Stetzer. I'm not these guys. I think there are a lot of communicators and theologians who are being asked to lead. Yeah. And it's outside of their context. And uh, I know one of Andy Stanley's main arguments for why multi-site with video venue is because it's incredibly difficult to be both the best leader and the best communicator. And to that, mm-hmm. I say, amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard. Yeah, it's, it's, true. It's, time, it's time consuming. It's like switching your brain to a completely different way of thinking. And uh, I have had to grow quite a bit in my leadership. Um, I've always kind of been a natural rallier of people, but I don't want, again, to go back to the idea of like, wait, I don't want this to be all based on me. So how do I create a healthy church that can go beyond the limitations of my ability to connect and interact with people? And I think that's the constant challenge we all have to face. One of the big ways we've tried to go at that here at Trinity New Life is to quantify and name the things that make us who we are. We call them our cultural values. It's when people talk about, like, I love the feel of TNLC. I love what it's Mm -hmm. like here. I love your vibe. If we don't know what makes that, we won't know how to protect it. We won't know how to drive it. We won't know how to create it. And we might lose it. And so we've done everything we can to, it started I think we had like 14 phrases we found ourselves saying over and over again. I was like, that's way too many and got it down to like six. And then we kind of expanded it to seven. And then we changed the phrasing of one of them. And we've got these seven identifiable cultural values. And they're these, they're phrases. They're not like mm-hmm. Matt, you know, it's not like energy, like this, some people going to have that, but ours is not just friendly, but sticky bias towards possible. Notice the little things see the whole board, holiest when happy, bring it big, and clarity is caring. And we've got them printed out. 
They hang in everybody's office. They are, when we do, people want to become leaders at the church, they have to go through an online course first. There's a whole lesson on these cultural values. We do a rally before our services every Sunday at both of our locations. We talk about at least two of those values every single week. And when we're looking for higher level leaders, we're asking, do we see the culture in them? Do they have our DNA? Mm -hmm. Because if we can't protect, and not just protect, because that's always defensive, but we want people who can not just protect our culture, but create our culture. And, and what that allows us to do is to be able to push on the idea that TNLC is more than me, that Grace City is more than you, mm-hmm. that, that TNLC is this people and this culture that we've, we've created. And when we've been able to identify it, protect it, and create it, I believe that gives us the opportunity to be able to grow exponentially at, at a healthy way because people don't have to be connected to me or our senior leadership team to be, quote unquote, part of TNLC or get to experience TNLC. And so we want them to be able, we want everybody who goes to a location where I'm primarily on video or somebody who I'd never have lunch with or anything to still have an equal opportunity to be a part of TNLC. And I think that comes from identifying, protecting, and creating our culture and doing everything we can to be as clear as possible in over communicating that. Uh, the other really big thing great. that we're the other big thing we're pushing into right now, we're kind of in the middle of this, we haven't laid it out as much, is really trying to break out our leadership, um, our, our leadership levels. Right now we've got basically volunteer We've got director, which is the highest level in our church. There's about six, five or six um, directors. And then we have leaders, which is this ginormous bucket in the middle. And people have different levels of leadership on different teams, and we have different ways we call. I mean, everybody has a job description. Everybody has like an idea of what they're responsible for. But what we're looking for as leaders, when we're, what we're looking for from these folks, I mean, it's been too, it's been too much of a big mushy pile in the middle. And so we're in the process of breaking everything along. And this is because our, our size has increased, our complexity has increased. At, at one point in time, probably volunteer leader and director would have been fine. But now we've got these five levels of from team member to leader to leader of leaders to developer to director that we're trying to identify, we're trying to put everybody, we're trying to give clarity of what they need, are we giving them trainings to get to that point, are we giving them job descriptions, are we giving them checklists, are we, like all this stuff so that people are clear in what's being asked of them and what they're going to be held accountable to. Um, stealing this from my our friend Gabe Bouch who said, I think every relationship basically ends on unmet expectations. Mm. And most of those expectations were unsaid. Mm-hmm. And if we want to create the least amount of frustration possible, I don't think we can eliminate it. We're still human. We're, we've got to be as clear as possible. That's why clarity is caring is such a big value for us. And we want to say, wait, I'm a leader. What kind of leader am I? This is exactly what kind of leader. Well, what's expected of me? This is exactly. Well, why can't I do this? Well, one, you you can serve, but you know, I got to get baptized. You know, like or you know, like, Hey, this, are we going to hire this person? Like you said, like, is this person us? 
Are we, are we, are we there with them? Do we know, do we know what we're looking for? And I think the more we can be clear about that, the better we can help people who feel like, man, I want to be a part. Yeah. I want to do more. I want to, we're in this big thing now, also trying to be able to expand out the word ministry. People, I want to, I want to feel called to ministry. And I go, what does that mean? They go, I don't know. And we got to help them. We got to help be able to say, look, here's a path to take. It's not just, hey, go out and raise an MPD team, get hired, and we'll figure it out. Like, I mean, do you have a hireable skill? Do you have, you know, are you bearing fruit? These kind of things. If, if we don't have a process by which to help people move through, I feel like we create a frustration for people who have a great desire to want to make an impact. And so we're trying to do everything we can to be as clear as possible, to define stuff, to write it down. Man, it makes us move slower. It's more arduous. But I think in the end, it produces greater clarity and greater yeah. health. Yeah, for sure. And so we're really looking forward to, we've had the culture go up and running for a couple years now, uh, but this leadership identification kind of really given people a pathway. It's going to be a big part of our 2019, the first part of it. And we're really excited because I think it's going to really, my, my goal is to serve people and to say, man, you know, I always go back to First Timothy. It says, he who desires to be a noble, an overseer desires a noble thing. Yeah. And if somebody wants to be a leader, they want to grow. Like, oh, I love TNLC. I love Gracie. What, how do I grow? How do I do more? And you don't want to be like, uh, yeah, champ, just, let's just try to get you. Like, And I want to try to create those paths for those folks. Don't want them frustrated. I want to get them That's fruitful. really great. Because so, really I know great. what it was like to be frustrated myself. Yeah, totally. If, if, uh, I know you guys have uh, you've started a, a, a podcast out of Training New Life. A lot of things you're saying just come with so much incredible depth to them. They're really profound and powerful ideas. And there might be even leaders that are listening to this that are both sensing a need to want to learn more about that. And you guys are starting to put out some really, really cool content. Is there? Can you direct people to where they can find your podcast or, or find your website or so forth and kind of get the resources that you're that you're working with? Sure, that would be fantastic. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, you can follow <laughs> us on the socials everywhere at Trinity New Life. That's both on Facebook, Instagram, we're on Twitter, but we don't use it very actively. TrinityNewLife.com. And up at the top, you're going to see a media. And dropping down there, you can watch our live stream, which would be really early if you're watching from the West Coast. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, and at you can also see our sermon archive and then our what's called our Beyond Sunday podcast. We've been putting out two episodes a week now. On Monday, we actually take the sermon and we really push and make that a discipleship episode. We try to push in, answer people's questions about the message. It's really, it is really 14 LC. Then the midweek episode is more about launching leaders. And we've been trying to take these concepts inspired by the questions we feel like we're either having to answer or we're hearing from TNLC, but trying to make it a little more broad, a little more general. Like you said, we just finished up a three-part series on what ministry is uh, that I, I, I don't know that I ever thought through it as much as we did before we did this podcast, but that's a lot of the stuff. That's also We're also on Instagram at, uh, at Beyond Sunday Podcast, um, at Clayton Bell everywhere. Um, but that's where you can find there us. You um, and you can always email info at Trinity New Life for any additional questions. I highly recommend Clayton just in terms of his wisdom and input. And if uh, if you guys want to reach out to him, I know he'd be he'd be a really great person to connect with. But Clayton, I just want to thank you so much for your time, man. This has been really fun having you on Church in the Wild. It's been a fascinating conversation. I'm looking forward to, to many more to come. I know we'll see each other here uh, shortly in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, thanks so baby, much for your time, the man. Castle. The Purple Castle. That's <laughs> if you're ever wondering what that is, just just uh, be thankful you, do you don't. Do, show, do you do show notes, man? You do show notes, right? I do show notes. Yes. Come on, put a link to the. Put you a want link. a link to the Purple Castle? 
put a lay. If anybody here is listening, it's still listening into this. They deserve to see the 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 one of the most interesting hotels you've ever seen in Orlando. Yes, one of our close friends coined it Elton John's Hunting Lodge. (laughs) (laughs) It's the stuff nightmares and dreams. Oh gosh. All right. Well, now I can't back off of it. It'll be in the show notes, everybody, if you really want to see yes! where the uh, where the genius really comes together and, and, you know, plots to save the world. So that's, that, that'll be there. Clayton, thanks so much for your time, buddy. Have a wonderful rest My of your pleasure. day in Florida, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Seth. Bye.